Background investigations reform hit a major milestone last week when clearance officials said all Defense Department clearance holders had been enrolled in continuous vetting. Now, that system of automated record checks will eventually replace periodic gumshoe reinvestigations. Officials call continuous vetting more streamlined and effective, but the reform initiative still faces some hurdles. Here with more, Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. And Justin, let's start with what's going on here. What's the significance of this new milestone with continuous vetting? Tell us the story. Well, this all started several years ago when the background of investigations backlog was in the hundreds of thousands. And, you know, there were significant delays in bringing cleared people into government. The officials in charge of the process started uh, reforming it in addition to digging out of that backlog. And now we have this process called continuous vetting. All DOD clearance holders, about 3.6 million individuals uh, that includes uniformed service members, contractors, uh, and DOD civilians are now enrolled in this system of continuous vetting that is centerpiece to the government's concept of a trusted workforce. Uh, 2.0 is what they're calling this this new kind of initiative to reform this whole process. It's supposed to make the whole system of background investigations and clearance decisions easier for both everyday workers who have these clearances and the security offices who are in charge of monitoring the process. And the big significance of continuous vetting is that it defers the requirement to do a periodic reinvestigation on someone who holds a clearance. Bill Litzow is director of the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency, which oversees the background investigations process for about 95% of government. He spoke about the milestone in the Pentagon press room yesterday. This is a significant step in the effort to enhance the trustworthiness of our federal workforce and ensure we have even greater confidence in the individuals we trust to protect our national security. Continuous record checks means that issues of risk and concerns regarding an individual's trustworthiness that it may have taken years to discover previously, can now be identified and addressed in real time. That was Bill Litzow, director of the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency. As he alluded to, when a clearance holder is under continuous vetting, they're being checked against some data sources. Some They're, they're having automated data checks against things like criminal activity, potential criminal activity, or a terrorist database. Litzow actually gave several examples where someone was found to have been arrested for a murder or have been on a terrorist database who had a clearance and they were able to quickly figure that out and and move to uh, adjudicate those, those sure. pretty serious issues. And so so the big thing here is that there's automated d- data checks, but then actual people, investigators and adjudicators are still on the back end taking those alerts and determining what to do with them, whether to take them forward and investigate further or just carry on. All right. So now we have continuous vetting in place for a large portion of the cleared workforce, the DOD people, but we're not quite to the f- total trusted workforce 2.0 status yet, correct? Correct. Yeah. So this is only DOD clearance holders, which is a very big chunk, as you mentioned, of the cleared population. But there are 105 agencies that DCSA actually does background checks for. So about 30 other agencies are in the process of enrolling people or signed up to participate in the CV program. That includes the General Services Administration, the Department of Health and Human Services, the Department of Veterans Affairs. So they're onboarding people into this program. But the other thing is that this initial, this version of continuous vetting that's in place right now is actually somewhat limited. It only checks about three data sources, very important things like criminal activity or terrorism, as I mentioned earlier. The next step is to get people into an updated version of the system, which checks against seven categories of data. 
That also includes suspicious financial transactions, foreign travel records, public records in general, credit bureau reports, and then also checking against eligibility requirements that different departments and agencies set for clearance holders. DCSA says they've already started putting some select clearance holders into that expanded regime of continuous vetting, but it's going to take some time to get there. And they won't reach the 2.0 status, if you will, until October 2023. And that involves having the entire federal workforce under continuous vetting. It involves using uh, what they're calling a maximum number of record checks. And it means that the requirement for every investigation is completely gone and that the government is fully satisfied with this program and how it's working. As part of getting to that final end state, there could be an expanded number of data sources. They haven't really fully settled. And I don't think they actually will. I think they'll continue evolving as this goes on. But one of those new data sources could be social media. Litsau spoke about that at the Pentagon yesterday. I do see more data sources coming online. There's no doubt there may be others that come up. And we already have several pilot programs we're working on to look at the value of social media and how you can look at it, whether it's a, a, an event-driven look at social media, whether it's a regular continuous look at some social media or whether it's a one time when they're investigated, look at social media. There's different ways you could use some of the social media search capabilities that are out there. We're still right now analyzing how much value we think there is in that. And that's Bill Leitzel, Mr. Security Clearance, you might say. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. And with all this data, what about the IT systems behind this whole concept? It seems like they've got some real infrastructure work to do. Yeah, they're pretty important. And uh, Bill Leitzel said as much. Uh, the, the work on these uh, collective of systems, it's called the National Background Investigation Services now, or NBIS is the government acronym, started back in 2016 after OPM's uh, background investigation database was breached. Uh, Everyone will remember that. And this new system, NBIS, was supposed to replace that with a much more secure system. Well, as these reform efforts have gone on, NBIS has also kind of morphed into this holistic kind of automated system that's going to provide all this data crunching, pull this data in from all these different databases, do the analysis, in addition to being, you know, your classic case management system, also providing, you know, an application portal for people applying for clearances. So it's a pretty holistic IT system that we're talking about here. Well, it's had some problems. It hasn't really delivered much in the way of capability yet. DCSA is still relying on OPM's legacy database if you can believe that. That was started in 1987. And the initial capability for processing background investigations in the new system is not expected to be online until next summer at this point. Charlie Sowell is the chief executive officer for SE&M Solutions. He's been following this issue of background investigations for a long time, has been involved with the Federal Advisory Committee that makes recommendations on security clearance policy. I spoke to him about how the NBIS system so far has largely gone unrealized. Without that, all of the great policy ideas and functional capabilities are just pie in the sky. There's no actual, you know, functional implementation without NBIS. To date, the federal government has spent about $1.2 billion on a system that really hasn't delivered complete functional capability to any user set yet. All right, so they've got some ways to go on that. And finally, Justin, what about the idea of the clearance that you possess once you get clearance, being able to take it from agency to agency and you're good to go? That's the other big nut to crack here under this reform initiative. Uh, It's called reciprocity in government speak. And 
agencies will oftentimes want to reinvestigate a person who already has a security clearance from another agency just because just for various reasons they don't necessarily uh, trust that the other agency did a good job with the background investigation so this continuous vetting system is supposed to make that easier. It's contingent upon a common set of standards for whether or not the government trusts a person. But we don't know a whole lot about whether that's actually leading to more reciprocity where a worker could take their security clearance from one agency to another or from an agency to industry. Charlie Phelan, he was the director of DCSA when it was first established a couple of years ago. And I talked to him about how agencies are trying to tackle this reciprocity issue. The challenge in all this is that agencies have to trust each other. The security and suitability executive agents that have been driving this trusted workforce thing have had and still have routine get-togethers with the leadership, the security leadership of all those agencies, both in the IC, suitability world, and, of course, the DOD stuff. And they literally are all in the same room talking about this stuff. It's to build that level of confidence, continue to maintain that, because that is that is absolutely key. That you got to just trust that the other guys are doing it right. So you might say if you were GAO, lots of progress, but still a ways to go. Fair enough? Yeah, that's the classic answer on these things. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, 
and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where what you can do to help them. Uh, I we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that, I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? 
Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.